Good morning, and uh, welcome to Changing the Culture. This is the first in a series of lectures for business and public sector leaders in the East Midlands. Hang on, hang on. I think I picked up the wrong sheet, sorry. Just, wait a minute, there's something on empowerment and engagement. Uh, no, that's the church bulletin. Transformation, not uh, transaction. Now that's Christmas service. Uh, virtuous circles, management ecosystems. Now that's something from work, definitely. And, um, and value propositions. No, no idea where that one has come from. Anyway, I have found the right notes at last, so I will be talking about changing the culture, but also about Christ, the king. The king of what or the king of who? I'll just read the passage again uh, from John 18, uh, starting at verse 33. Pilate then went back into the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, in characteristic style, didn't say yes or no. He asked a question. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate, being canny, didn't answer the question either. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your, people, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to protect my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Rather enigmatic. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate, and then promptly left, not waiting for a reply, which is a little disappointing. It says, with, then, with, with this, he then went out again to the Jews gathered there, and then he asks if they should release Jesus. It's a bit of a shame, isn't it? It would been great if Pilate had actually given the opportunity for Jesus to define truth but he didn't there, and I can't find it anywhere else. But he defines his kingdom as not of this world and from another place. Fortunately, the kingdom of God, of which Jesus is king, is a major theme of his teaching and his way of life. I'm going to boldly go into Aramaic, noting that we have an Aramaic expert sat over there. But it was Jesus' teaching language. Now, my understanding of the world Malkutha is it's the activity of a king or kingship. It's not a territory ruled by a king. But the Bible, the New Testament, wasn't written in Aramaic. It was written in Greek. And that's the written language that we're using. And Basileia is slightly more ambiguous and might mean a territory or the actions of a king. But the evidence points towards Basileia or the kingdom of God meaning God's way of doing things, God's style, the way God operates, or the example that God sets others. It's the culture. It's God's culture. So how did Jesus go about changing the culture of his day? How did he persuade people to do things God's way? Now, a few of you, some of you, know that I've been in NHS management, as well as being an ENT surgeon for about eight years now. Um, so I thought I'd just share a little bit of my experience about trying to change culture. 
Importance to culture is well described for over 50 years. Organizational culture, organizational systems have been well described and the importance of it for many years. And we know that high-functioning organizations generally have a fantastic culture. But how do you define what the culture is of an organization? Can you create it? Can you improve it? So there are two schools of thought about how you can define a culture in an organization. It's something the organization has, along with its management structure and its strategy documents, and it's defined, and it's scientific, and you measure it. On the other hand, the other school of thought is that organizations have a culture which just is, and it's defined by the character and the experience of working within that organization. It's not measurable. In the has model, so an organization has something, it's a single, coherent culture. You have rules and regulations that keep everyone together. And senior staff aim to manipulate the culture to meet their objectives. So at Nottingham University Hospitals, uh, we have Better For You, and we have lots of these culture-changing, fantastic, which are all aimed to meet the objectives of the organization, which is to provide better patient care. Nothing wrong with that. But it's the senior staff team defining the culture of the organization. In the culture just what is in an organization, is quite different. It recognizes the fact that with any given organization, there are lots of different cultural groups. They may be professional groups. They may be groups of friends. And they all have slightly different things to contribute to the organization. And change generally results in an organization from changing the networks within an organization, conflict, disagreements between groups. And the culture of an organization is reflected by everyone and influenced by everyone. So if you've been to the Queen's campus where I work, it's influenced by the volunteers who meet you, the clinic reception staff, the nurse who might uh, introduce you or uh, carry out some uh, some treatments or preliminary uh, tests, the audiologist perhaps in my department will do a hearing test, and then you might meet me or one of my team. And then I'll send you back along to the nursing staff for maybe some uh, ear treatments, if that's what I did. So it's quite different. And the key to influencing culture in both models are four things. Strong leadership, so somebody there who can shape the organization. The ownership of ideas by the front line, and I mean by the reception staff, the nursing staff, the medical staff, everyone. And here in a church, by the congregation, a freedom from external constraints. We sung a bit of external constraints last week with the General Synod, not voting for women bishops. And working together across professional boundaries is key to influencing cultures. It's no good if the doctors all sit in one little cabal and the nurses all sit in another cabal and they never talk to each other. It won't work. I'm now going to stray into a territory which is very unfamiliar to you, but maybe more familiar to you, Uh, unfamiliar to me, sorry, which is uh, more familiar to you, Um, which is Brian Clough, a charismatic leader of Nottingham Forest. I believe, if Wikipedia is correct, 1975 to 1993. In in 1977, they were promoted to the First Division, now the Premier League. 1978, they won the League Championship. 78 and 79, the League Cup. 79 and 80, the European title. 89 and 90, the League Cup. If I got that wrong, I apologise to Forest fans. But this was the Clough culture. He'd done it in Derby. 
He did it in Nottingham to Forrest. He showed strong leadership. He expected absolutely complete obedience. He focused on one thing. He told each player one thing they had to do during each match. He kept it simple. And by understanding this, he showed excellent pastoral care and concern for his workforce, his players, and the team and the other team members. So there is something about influencing the culture around leadership. But how do you get ideas to stick? So as part of my management, I thought I'd read a fun book called Making, uh, Made to Stick by guys called Chip and Dan Heath. And they give a few ideas about how you can make ideas stick. And I'll show them to you. I'll give them to you. First, an idea's got to be simple. Just find the core. It's got to be unexpected. Grab people's attention. It's got to be concrete. Make sure you can grasp the idea. It's got to be credible. Make sure it's believable. Emotional. People have got to be involved. They've got to see it's got to be important. And tell stories to empower people to use an idea through, through telling stories. Can you see any parallels with the, the, the way Jesus talked 2,000 years ago in the, in the cloth model and the made-to-stick model? So Jesus taught directly about the kingdom of God. He said to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is within you. You own the kingdom of God. He compared the entering the kingdom of God to entering life itself. And he said people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God, breaking down barriers, getting everyone together. He taught about the kingdom of God in parables, in stories. The parable of the lost sheep. It's about the nature of God, seeking out the lost sheep. The parable of the rich man, entry into the kingdom of God and the barriers to that entry. The parable of the Good Samaritan, again, community, breaking down barriers. The parable of the corn and the weeds, preparing us for the future. And Jesus taught on practical matters relating to the kingdom of God. Divorce and marriage, family quarrels, paying taxes, suffering, lots of things. But at the time, Jesus' concept of the kingdom of God, the idea he was putting forward, was new and revolutionary. It was simple and unexpected. The Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes reversed the order that people were expecting. It was concrete and credible. He came up with some firm ideas that everybody could believe in. And it appealed to people's emotions, and he told stories to explain what he was trying to do. So Jesus, in his day, as Christ the King, was concerned with changing the culture of the society that he was going into. He showed strong leadership. He set boundaries. He said there are boundaries on where you can go, and he expected obedience. He gave ownership of ideas, of his ideas, to the front line, to his disciples, to those around him, to us. He showed freedom from external constraints, and I like this one particularly. He didn't stick to the conventional religious laws that were constraining the culture and the society at the time. In Matthew 12, he ate corn on the Sabbath and he healed the sick. And he didn't say the right things in Matthew 21. He told the chief priests and the elders and the tax collectors, uh, sorry, the chief priests and the elders, that tax collectors and prostitutes would enter the kingdom of God 
ahead of them. If that isn't turning things upside down and showing freedom from external constraints, I don't know what is. And he worked across boundaries. He didn't mix with the right people. In Matthew 9, he's described as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus was concerned with changing the culture and building a cohesive society. He created a change of heart, of attitude, and of mind. And his message turned the worldview at the time upside down. So Christ as king. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God is about the rule of God in our lives. I've talked about this before. And every action and thought we have should be guided by that principle. And Jesus lived as an example of the rule of God in our lives. I'm just going to read a short bit from this book, which is 50 Key uh, Christian Thinkers. From, uh, this is a description of Rudolf Bultmann. What might sum up the main themes of Bultmann's program is like this. 19th century scholarship had interested itself in the self-consciousness, the personality of Jesus. About this, we know next to nothing. This did not interest the gospel writers and need not interest us. What matters are Jesus' words and actions and his purposes within the concrete situation in which he lived. Jesus' words tell us how he understood himself and approached the world as it confronted him. But our life too confronts us with the questions of our own self-understanding. Who are we and what are we doing? Who we are, our very existence, depends on the decisions we take from moment to moment. The impact that we can have as an individual in society can seem insignificant. How can we change anything? Our contribution won't be noticed. But it is only when individuals li- individual lives change that we can transform a whole community. If whole swathes of society turn to God and allow to God to rule in their lives, would this not be an extraordinary demonstration of the kingdom of God on earth? Imagine the transformation to society if everyone were to put on Jesus' shoes, act like he did, and think like he did. The previous rector of this church, Simon Cansdale, offered me a prize if I managed to get both readings into the sermon that sort of made sense in some ways. So having done the John passage, I'm now going to just very briefly introduce Revelation. And one verse of it. Revelation 1, verse 6. Jesus Christ who they're talking about at the time, has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We are the kingdom of God. And as I talked about previously, we are God's people chosen for blessing. We are the kingdom of which Christ is king. Should us bow our heads in a moment of prayer.
Lord God, you showed us strong leadership. You've given us our ideas to share with the world, your, your ideas to share with the world. You showed us how to free ourselves from external constraints and taught us to work across the boundaries that hamper us. We, Lord, make up your kingdom on this earth. We are your people chosen for blessing. Help us put on your shoes and act like you and think like you to the very, very best of our ability. Please help us to make you proud of what we do. Amen.